If I'm being honest, guys, you don't want me doing an ad read about having a smooth ball bag, having food delivered to your house, or building a website online. But what you do want is more content, which can be found at the Murder Me Monday podcast Patreon in the link below. You get access a week early, exclusive content, and a shout out if you care about that kind of thing. Because I don't want to do ad reads. I don't want to do this. It would be horrific. Now, hopefully, that's made Mother happy promoting the Patreon, and hopefully, you enjoy the show. We'll see you around. Much love. Peace. The saying, you never truly know someone, is very apt in this week's case. His family didn't know the real him. His friends didn't know the real him. His colleagues didn't know the real him. Putting together all the facets of this man's life and personality, we probably still don't know the real him. We will never know what caused him to go on a killing spree, leaving 12 people dead and many more injured in a county in the north of England. This is the case of Derek Bird and the Cumbria Massacre, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Murder Me Monday podcast. I am Cameron and joined with me is Mother. Hello. I am risking life a limb being here because you've got a cold. This is true. Well, I'm on the men now. I'm going to catch a bowler. I'm, I'm sat here. I can hear you do the, the intro. And it's all days that you're stuck up here talking a bit funny. I thought I sounded so. I sounded I, better I, than I, I did. I can subtly hear it, although I do have you in my ears. So you might sound different because your ears are all blocked up. You can't hear how different you sound. It's definitely just a cold, though. It'd be interesting to see if anyone picks up. Yeah. That has had a bit funny talking a bit weird. We do have some news, though, don't we? Do we? Stickers. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. We finally got some stickers. So if we've got specialist Patreon ones, they're the first attempts. Let's see how they go. They are, they are very basic. They're basically just a print of our logo. However, I've had the idea. Way back in the day, so back in the day, it wasn't longer. There was an episode where you had said, where are the nipples, didn't you? Yes. So I was thinking for a sticker idea, it would just be a nipple and nothing else on it. And then people would receive a nipple essentially <laughs> but then I'm, th- I'm thinking people are going to stick it on themselves and send us pictures and it's going to be weird it'll be funny at the same time yes exactly it would because you can theoretically cover you can cover your nipple with the picture right and if you post that on instagram you're, it's not nudity anymore because it's a picture of a nipple not a nipple so i'm wondering if there's a weird little it's like a nipple pasty isn't it yeah but it looks like a nipple yeah yeah so yeah, we've got patreon stickers i guess if you support a patreon drop us your address If you would like a few normal stickers, again, just drop us an email through our normal channels. It's very basic. Like I said, we're we're trying to sort of incentivize people to do it without costing any money because then it isn't a margin. But then it's like, you know what I mean? You're you're trying to get someone an incentive. Yeah. It costs enough money. Bear in mind, this all costs money and it's it's fun. And I'm quite happy to send them wherever in the world you are just for the fuel fun of it wandering down to the post office with envelopes for australia and india and and if you do i want a dm on twitter or instagram about the picture that'd be funny <laughs> it, but if you do make nipple ones don't send us pictures no please don't i don't, I don't want those no no so do you want to get into the case i do indeed can, so... can, I, can I just say as well you did that read at the start in your first attempt and that's whilst you're like all oh, a bit thick and a bit weird usually you don't usually takes up four four or five times you guys obviously don't hear that. You hear it when it works. But that, that was the first time in a long time that you've done one without messing up. I, I Normally it's nerves with me. And obviously the first read is an attack of nerves being in front of the mic and all the rest of it. Probably because I'm so flipping dosed up on cold and flu medicine. I, you're, I, all, you're all coked up so yeah. you can talk properly. <laughs> 
So this week's episode, along with the 1987 The Hungerford Massacre, which we covered last week, um, we've mentioned the 1996 Dunblane School Massacre. This is one of the worst criminal acts involving firearms in British history. The county of Cumbria, bordering Scotland, is probably better known to a lot of people for being the home of the Lake District, which is actually a national park. I was going to say that they're most well known for the sausage, but that's Cumberland. That's true. That's not Cumbria. No, it's not. It's not. Right, carry on. Yeah. Most of the events take place within and around a town called Whitehaven. It's a population of roughly 25,000. Let us start in the autumn of 1957, when Derek and his twin brother David are born. They live with their mother Mary and father Joseph and an older brother in a small village called Ennerdale Bridge, which is about eight miles from Whitehaven. Isn't hasn't there been a book about two people called Mary and Joseph? There was once upon a time, uh, I believe. I think, yeah. I think it was on as the Bible, wasn't it? I do wonder if that's where they got it from. I... If you're called Mary, you can't marry someone called Joseph. Well, they did. They did. If your name's Jordan, you can't marry someone with the surname of Jordan. Because you're Jordan, Jordan. Well, it's like... Uh, Neville, Neville. No, yeah, well, yeah, but there was Boutros, Boutros, Garley, wasn't there, from... Uh, I'm 26. I don't know who the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> <coughs> That's unfair when I've got a cold, don't be me. She's got a bowler. Carry on. Okay, we're in Cumbria. Yeah. The house had been in the family for at least two generations, inherited by Derek's father. Derek's nickname was Birdie. Not very imaginative. We know he met a girl at school and went to have two children with her, but they never married. He was working as a joiner at the Sellafield Nuclear Plant, owned at that time by British Nuclear Fuels Limited, the biggest employer in the area. By the 1990s, he'd split with the mother of his two children, moved to a very small house in a two-road village called Roworth, which is seven miles west of Whitehaven, became a taxi driver went on holiday with friends, lived a normal, quiet life, even becoming a doting grandfather a couple of weeks before the events of the 2nd of June, 2012. Shortly after midnight on the 2nd of June, Derek set out from his house in Rora with a double-barrelled sawn-off shotgun and a twenty-two rifle, complete with a silencer and a telescopic sight. A slight thing, I want to be a bit of a nerd gimp. It's a suppressor, not a silencer. It doesn't silence the noise, it suppresses it. He went, out, he, went, he went out with a twenty-two and a suppressor. I did not know that. This is what all the news reports said. Yeah. I, it's not known as a silencer, it's a suppressor. Or I could be completely wrong and it's the other way around, but it, it makes sense for it to suppress the sound. It doesn't silence it because it's still fucking loud. It's a, it's a gun. Okay, what about... I'm all, being pedantic. What? what about all the films where they go... and you? Yeah, that's not real. I know that, but... But what? It's not real. Have you seen any live footage from... No anywhere that has like any form of fire thingy why would you shoot a gun that isn't suppressed if that's the case because then it'd be harder to locate where people are when it goes it's, it's movie magic you can understand why i am not the only person probably listening to this that thinks well i didn't know that well, it's an explosion in a little chamber that's that then jettisons a bullet out of it it makes a really loud noise even when it's suppressed it's still very loud it just takes some of the boom out of it okay fair enough Derek, he entered his brother's farm at Frislington in Cumbria. David was asleep in bed. 
Derek shot him at, ele- at least 11 times with a 22 rifle, including two shots which were fired into David's head and another in the centre of his back. He then drives to the home of the family solicitor, Kevin Commons, and parks, blocking his drive, and waits. Shortly after 10am, the solicitor drove down the track on his way to work. He's Rural houses, big houses, he's got a, a long driveway, you know. Derek shot at his car twice with a shotgun, injuring the solicitor's shoulder. Terrified and bleeding, he scrambled out of the vehicle and began stumbling towards his home. Derek followed and he shot again and killed him with two twenty-two bullets to the head. He then drove to the home of a friend to whom he had given a more modern, more accurate shotgun the night before. The friend had taken it, believing that Derek was suicidal, and after having spent five hours listening to his woes, thought he was probably doing a good thing when Derek handed the gun over. The friend was not at home when Derek turned up, and reports vary whether his wife couldn't find the gun cabinet keys or just refused to give him the gun. Apparently she offered him tea instead. He refuses the tea, leaves and drives to Whitehaven. He reached the end of the taxi rank in Duke Street at 10.27am and spots a taxi driver he once called a friend who was returning from a sandwich shop. His mate who managed to take the gun of him was a bit of a boy, wasn't he? Fair play for taking someone that you think's going to do something funky with it and actually taking it off of them. But he spent five hours with the guy, so... I mean... Probably talked to him down what, a What's bit. five hours when you're talking about saving someone's life that, yeah. that your friend at the time... Exactly. He had no idea that this was... I, I thought you were going to say... I, I assumed, because being a true grand podcast, that when he said he, he wasn't there and his wife was, that he was going to kill his wife. Let's assume that's where it was going to go. Everybody else wondered afterwards why he didn't kill this guy's wife, but maybe... He, it, it was a friend and he might have been able to rationalise it. That he, yeah. The wife didn't deserve it. His friend wouldn't deserve it. He probably didn't go around to kill his friend. He went there to get the shotgun. Yeah. I I thought as well that he gave him the shotgun and when he was going to go around, he was going to kill him. And in my head, I'm like, did he try to make it fair? It's like a trial by combat. He gave him a gun himself. So that when he does shoot him, it's like, well, I I, I gave him a... I, let, I helped him by giving him a gun. And just, I, do you know what I mean? I thought that's where it was going to go instead. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a fair assumption. Your, your brain does work a little bit weirdly at times, but no, that's a fair assumption. So Derek spots this taxi driver. He calls him over to the front passenger window of his car. This former friend that was then met with a shotgun blast to the face and a second to his abdomen. He died in the street where he fell. A minute later, Derek was at the front of the taxi rank, pointing his twenty-two rifle at another driver who tried to take cover but was hit by a single bullet in the back. When he began crawling along the street, an image which was actually captured on CCTV, Derek got out of his car and followed him levelling his rifle as he went. He was about to shoot once more when another driver shouted at him to stop. Derek did and returned to his car. He'd been out of the vehicle for 24 seconds. It was 10.30am. Derek's car headed out through the one-way street. A police officer commandeered a passers-by car and began to shadow him. Less than a minute later, two other police officers joined the chase in a marked transit van. They were closing in on Derek as he shot his next victim 
another taxi driver who was actually heading in the opposite direction as they pulled alongside. Derek just leant out of his window and shot the guy. By any chance, Martha, are you going to say the other taxi driver suffered such severe wounds, injuries? Injuries. That his lower arm was later amputated. If you, if you didn't get that, we yeah, tried to I record that. I, we recorded that bit and it didn't work, so no. I, I did it. <laughs> his passenger was sprayed by shotgun pellets, but survived. Derek tried to turn around and have another go at killing that taxi driver, but then spotted the police van. He pointed his weapon at the two officers inside and both ducked for cover. When they looked up again, they saw him driving away at speed. A woman was carrying her shopping through Egremont when Derek drew up alongside her. He shot her twice before getting out of his car, wrestling with her and completing the execution with a shot to the side of her head. At 10.53am, Derek reloaded and drove to nearby Bridge End. He spotted an elderly man and shot him in the neck and head as he went past. A pest controller was out checking mole traps in a country lane near Hale when he was shot and killed by Derek. Derek had a lot of grudges to settle in his mind, one of which was with a committee member of a diving club that he'd attended. So we headed towards Wilton where the man lived. But it's believed that whilst he intended to shoot this man, he got distracted by other more viable victims. He killed a woman out walking to meet her husband as he passed her, which her husband saw. Derek saw him coming and shot him in the head through the driver's window, with another person being shot for being stood with the husband, but they survived. A man working in a gateway at his family's farm was shot. Derek shot him twice in the chest and arm, then got out of the car with his rifle in his hand. He stood over the injured man before shooting him dead with two twenty-two rounds. An estate agent, who was at 23, the youngest of the victims, is thought to have been shot dead after Derek spotted him at the side of the road in his smart car. He fired a single shot that struck the right-hand side of his victim's head. The car was still running, and as he died, his car moved forward into a hedge, then turned on its side. Ironically, that young man had been taking a call from a colleague warning him that a gunman was out the loose and he should leave the area. By 11.27am, Derek was in Seascale. On a single track lane beneath a bridge, he came across another local man and shot him as he went past. The man instinctively raised his arms to shield himself and survived, but with extensive injuries. Derek reloaded and headed out onto the coast road. He spotted an elderly cyclist and shot him twice. One bullet in the neck killed him. He was discovered slumped over his bicycle. 200 yards on, Derek found his last victim. A lady was going door to door delivering homeware catalogues when Derek called her over. Later tests carried out on her body revealed that Derek's shotgun was actually in contact with her mouth when he opened fire. Cumbria police finally caught up with Derek shortly after 11.35am when two officers in an armed response vehicle spotted his car heading towards them near Holmrook. They turned around but then got held up in a temporary roadworks. Derek had vanished. 
Derek is then randomly driving around, crisscrossing the area and doubling back on where he'd been previously. At 11.50am, he shot a holidaymaker as she walked along the roadside and a few minutes later opened a fire on staff at a travel company. Near to by to a railway station, another woman survived being beckoned over to Derek's car. The shot missed her, but she remembered a sudden loud bang and a whoosh of air as it passed her face. At 11.57am, a woman and her boyfriend pulled over at a scenic spot so she could take a photograph. As Derek drove by, he asked, Are you having a nice day? Before she could reply, it opened fire on her, leaving her with severe facial injuries, but she survived. Armed response vehicles were finally beginning to close in when Derek's front offside tyre, by now shredded from repeated collisions with cars and dry stone walls, fell away from the vehicle, so he's driving on the rim. He got out of his taxi for the last time, warning yet another set of passers-by not to approach him, and in the bright sunshine he set off towards Lowberker Farm, leaving behind the shotgun but taking with him his twenty-two rifle. As he walked, he unscrewed the weapon's... I would say silencer, but I'm going to say suppressor. It's believed that he realised that this would make it easier to deliver a self-inflicted wound by removing that. In a wooded copse, he knelt down, placed the rifle barrel to his forehead and fired a single round. The bullet killed him instantly. I think him taking the suppressor off made it easier because it adds length to the gun. That's what I was thinking. And if you can't... Like put it to the side of his head and pull the trigger, then it's... He put it into his middle of his forehead. How long are this fucker's arms? Because depending on how long the gun is, like, it might be our... I've got long arms, trust me, so I don't want to struggle to do that. But I, I imagine that's why. I, as you were talking, I, I googled it. It's a suppressor, but it, the term silencer is used interchangeably. It says a suppressor, otherwise known as a silence. A, a so silencer, I wasn't wrong. When, it, it probably is semantics, but it is, it is a suppressor, it's not a silencer. Everything that I've read is but the technical term is a suppressor. Fair enough. Being picky. So it was finally over. 12 victims dead and 11 other people hurt with some life-changing injuries. Three were targeted as he had known them, albeit maybe unfounded or irrational grudges against them, and nine were just random victims he came across. The police had 30 individual crime scenes to investigate. The shootings took place along a 24-kilometre, which is roughly 15 miles, stretch of the Cumbria coastline. Helicopters from neighbouring forces were used in the manhunt, with those from the RAF Search and Rescue Force and the Yorkshire Air Ambulance responding to casualties. Police also had assistance from something called the Civil Nuclear Constabulary. And I was like, what the heck's that? It's a special police force responsible for providing law enforcement and security at any relevant nuclear site and for security of nuclear materials in transit within the UK. It does not guard the UK's nuclear weapons. This role is responsible for the British Armed Forces and the MOD police. This police force has jurisdiction up to three miles from the boundary of a nuclear site. Sellafield is about 10 miles south from Whitehaven, but as he was zigzagging about the area and came quite close to that boundary, it would be prudent to bring them on board, wouldn't it? 
This force has over 1,500 police officers and support staff, and officers within the force are authorised firearms officers. You learn something new every week on this podcast. It makes sense for you to have a specialised task force for dealing with nuclear waste. You won't just want random Timmy the policeman to come up and look at and be sort of in charge of protecting the nuclear waste. You won't know what he's doing. He might open the door and blow himself up or turn into the yeah. Hulk. It's something I'd never considered till I was doing the research and I thought, ooh, that sounds interesting. It seems weird that it's the police doing that and not a specific subset of something that deals with the transit of... Well, it's a specialist force. It's a completely separate force. I'm surprised I see even define as the police, though, because it kind of seems odd to me. No, they would have um, legal powers that perhaps say army or something. Yeah, there. yeah, okay. And because of that, they would be defined as the police because they yes. have specific powers. Yeah, yes. that makes sense then. Yeah. So we had some red flags working at Sellafield. Good job. Probably one for life. If he was working as a joiner, he must have gone to college. You can't walk into these jobs without qualifications anymore. But he got sacked in 1990 because he was involved in stealing timber from the site. It was not a case of him taking home cutoffs that he shouldn't have. It was big enough that he was charged with theft and was genuinely concerned with being sent to prison, but was sentenced to six months imprisonment, suspended for 12 months. How he got a license to be a taxi driver with that conviction, I don't know. Many councils will not allow. It's unlikely he was what is known as a hackney, so it's a special license which you pay for, often a lot of money, even in the 1980s. Some places were selling the plates, which is the license, for upwards of £40,000. But you are completely independent and can work entirely for yourself. It's much more that he was likely to be under a general license and contracted to various firms. These licences tend to be yearly and, again, don't come cheap, well over a £1,000. And you have to have the vehicle annually inspected, like an additional MOT. You also have a special calibration device on the car to make sure you're charging exact mileage and not cheating people. Both are self-employed. However, if you work for firms, you usually have to pay rental for the radio, which allows you to be connected to their systems to be allocated jobs. Both types of licences have to keep records of all the trips, which lead to another red flag. He had only ever filed taxes on the basis that he was earning £100 a week. You may scoff at that, but with the cost of the licence, the special insurance, which is easily over £2,000, the fuel, maintenance of the car or even a replacement and wear and tear, radio fees, etc. You could be working 12-hour days, six days a week and still struggle unless you get some long runs to, say, the airport or corporate trips. That's only sometimes. Some drivers can make an absolute fortune. There had been an influx of taxis into Whitehaven over the preceding months. Reports that drivers from out of area were plying for trade, which is strictly not allowed under the rules. And if the local authority was issuing too many new licences, that would be less work to go around. Obviously, the local authority will issue them because they get fees from it. That would also mean that the ranks would be filled with taxes and there would be a lot more downtime between jobs. Apparently, these issues have been playing on his mind and he'd gotten into some verbal altercations with other drivers over recent weeks. He thought he was the butt of pranks and had been ridiculed about his personal hygiene and the state of his car. It was a Citroen Picasso, if you're wondering. 
Banks in the UK have to report certain patterns of behaviour or on accounts that breach rules in various codes of conduct. They are watching for money laundering, etc. He had accounts with over £60,000 in them and the Inland Revenue had somehow gotten wind of it and decided to investigate. It's possible if he was stating he was only earning £100 a week, probably wasn't paying national insurance stamp, certainly no tax at that level, may have even been claiming top-up state benefits. He would have lost everything and gone to jail for fraud and tax evasion. He knew that this was the likely outcome because he'd been sent a form to fill in. And if he lied, he would get caught. And if he filled it out honestly with all the details of his saving, he would also get caught. So he was stuck between a rock and a hard place. Another flag he was unravelling. The solicitor he killed was the family solicitor as he worked for all of them. Derek, his twin brother, his old brother and his mum. I would have thought that was a conflict of interest maybe and I think that Derek thought that he'd been stitched up because he had many meetings with the chap about a tax issue, that tax issue as I said, and it wasn't going away. Also it's been disputed but they may have been a family argument about his mother's will. She wasn't dead. But mother at the time was in her 90s and the father was long gone. What the argument was about, we can only guess, but apparently David, the twin, got £12,000 years earlier to help his car mechanic business and had gone on to be a very successful property developer as well. The older brother and Derek were to split the first 25000 of their mother's estate when she passed, with all three brothers sharing the remaining amount, which sounds fair enough, doesn't it? The elder brother knew about the money split in the will, but didn't know if Derek did, and his mother being unwell may have fed into Derek's feeling of hard done by or got at if he felt he wasn't going to get his fair share when his mother did pass. His brother, his first victim, he'd been talking to him about his tax problems. He even rang him 44 times on the 30th of May, three days before the murder. Only two of those calls had been answered. He'd gone from being a trusted brother and confidant to Derek to believing that Derek had somehow colluded with the family solicitor to dob him in and had even, he believed, recorded conversations to pass it on to the Inland Revenue. Whether any of that is true is anyone's guess, but it's nevertheless what Derek believed and told other friends. His holiday trips with his mates were also not as wholesome as they appeared on the surface. Yes, he did love scuba diving, and yes, they did go to Thailand frequently to dive. But he also spent a lot, and I mean a lot of time, in Pattaya, which is the premier place for sex tourism. Derek was well known by bar staff and kept work, that kept working girls on site. He developed an obsession with one girl, so much so that he demanded he have exclusive time with her and would go out frequently to see her. But it was very one-sided and the girl probably went along with it to take whatever money she could because when he sent her £1,000 from the UK, goodness knows why, she promptly split up with him by text and vanished. Apparently, he was not so much upset about the loss of a so-called relationship but angry about the money being gone. And to add into the seedy picture of all of that, 
when the police searched his house and got hold of his laptop, the only stuff on there is what was described as extreme porn. For the police to describe it as that but does make you wonder a bit. The never marrying the mother of his children, it could have been a joint or separate decision. But knowing now about his money fixation, it did make me wonder if he refused to marry her in case he would be required to pay for anything. But then again, there are loads of reports that they were married and it was a mess of divorce. So, who knows? Seemingly the house he moved to after they split. No idea how it was paid for if he was only earning £100 a week. And he did own it. It's described as shabby and run down. He never spent a penny on any maintenance and his house stood out on the street for being ramshackled or worn down. It was tatty looking. Lots of people saw one Derek, happy, smiley, cheerful, always left his change when buying a pint of milk. Others found he was easy to fall out with, would hold grudges and was quick to anger. During the manhunt, the gates of the nearby Sellafield nuclear reprocessing plant were closed as a precaution and the afternoon shift was told not to come to work. This was the first lockdown in the history of the plant. Did they fear he would come after him with a long-held grudge or the fact there was a lot of people on site so he would have more victims? Three of the dead were former employees, although there is no evidence that any of them were involved with when he was forced to resign. He was an ordinary, middle-aged man in a sedentary job. He had a problem with women for sure, the extreme porn, the trips to Thailand and the sex workers. Twelve victims three women but the injured that survived five were women out of the 11 so we didn't discriminate there did he though a report later determined that Derek had fired at least 47 rounds during the shooting 29 from his shotgun 18 from his 2-2 rifle six live 22 rounds were also found on Derek's person with an additional eight loaded in the rifle how is that possible only reason I know this is from, is from um, uh, Escape from Tarkov. You can, you can essentially get like a semi-automatic rifle that has like ten bullets in it at a time, right? Which okay. is different than a, 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 a automatic gun, which has like a magazine, which has like a, a plate and then a spring on the inside that forces the bullets up. It's a little bit different. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. That my brain just went, how on earth did they get eight in there? But mm. so a search of Derek's home later recovered over seven hundred and fifty rounds of live. 22 ammunition and 240 live shotgun shells all were legally held at the time why did he have a firearms license because in the uk you, you have to get one usually it's if you work on a farm or you're part of a firearms club as far as i'm aware i could be wrong i, I know people that are a, are a part of it and the ones that have to own it there's usually like a condition yeah but he, he was he was a, a, don't forget as well where he lived he lived in a rural community. Yeah, okay. And he probably, you know, it, it, again, there is no, they never have, they just make sure that there's certain things like you don't have a criminal conviction, which even though it was suspended, I'm surprised they let him have the guns. Possibly. Um, there's no psych tests. What, as in vision? No, psychological tests oh, to make psych sure. psych tests, I think yeah. psych tests. As in, you're not going to go, you know, pop your neighbours off because you're angry with them. Um, again, they do it with, as we heard last week, the, the local police officer who 
you would hope at once upon a time would have known somebody. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a police officer since we've lived up where we are now. We see them all the time out in the courtyard, in the little cul-de-sac-y bit. Oh, in cars, yes, but not PC Plod on his, which what it used to be. So it, it was like your doctor knew who you were. Now you never see the doc, same doctor twice. Oh, oh as I mean, like like a, a town policeman, yes. you'd recognise him. Is yes. it? Oh, there's Steve. He's the copper. Yes. Yeah. Nah, no chance. Yeah. Well, um, I know in America, a lot of times it's obviously different to the UK. It might be the same. The people that work in those towns often don't live in those towns. That's true. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if it's a conflict of interest, but a lot of the time they live in neighbouring towns, states, etc. It wouldn't be states, would it? It'd be neighbouring towns because they're in like separate tax codes and they're sort of incentivised to go there. So their little area is well sheltered and paid for by the police unions, etc. And they sort of govern another area and try to sort of siphon money off of the more impoverished areas. That's kind of what happens. It, I, it's probably different in the UK, but yeah, we don't have like a, a police force that you would recognise. I've got friends that are police officers, though. From the gym, yeah, from the gym. Fair enough. No, it's, we, we don't have, I mean, the closest most people think, certainly I know people from other countries think the Metropolitan Police or the Met covers the whole of the UK and you have to say, uh, no, it's London. A very love. specific little area. Yes, it's, it's yeah. London, it's nothing else. So, again, we're better at sharing information these days between police forces. But Probably says something about our culture, though, that if you saw the barman from the local outside, you'd recognise him more, wouldn't you, than a policeman? Yeah. You'd, re- you'd recognise the local barman. Yeah. Well, my day job's in the city of London. And they have, a again, even though it's within London, the city of London is a completely separate area. And I used to sit at my desk at our old office before it got knocked down. And every lunchtime I'd look out because I'd hear hoof, you know, horses' hooves. A zebra. Yeah, zebra. And it was always two police officers, mounted police officers, just going down the road and they would circle the city of London. And the way you can you can tell when you're in the city as such, bollards, I'm not swearing at you, bollards, old-fashioned Victorian bollards. They're black with a white top with a red ring round it. And that sits, tells you that you are within the city of London. Is that why there are no bins allowed? Uh, I think most of them got taken out after various IRA bombings. But they, they, a lot of them are still back. They they brought a few of them back, but yeah, the city the city of London and the police officers have got different uniforms. They look almost like traffic wardens, bless them. Um, they don't look like normal police officers in the city, and they are the ones um, where I work is not far from um, St Paul's Cathedral, so it's it's only a short walk up there. So if you walk up to St Paul's, you can often see these police officers just. They are on the beat. They are walking because they're keeping an eye on the tourists to make sure yeah, nothing funky a, happens. So it's a show of presence. Yeah. I guess. But you won't get that here. He was going back to uh, Derek. Yeah. He had, clearly had a grudge towards the, the taxi. The drivers. Yeah. The individual drivers. Why was it the specific drivers? Is that because he thought it was the butt of the joke because he smelled funny and he had an ugly car? Yeah. Uh, and they've been taking the mick out of him. They Slight thought. victim mentality. Yeah, yeah. He may well have been. Again, doesn't justify his actions of shooting people, but he might well have been. He looks like he smells a bit, if I'm honest. But that's that's personal prejudice. So he he killed those, and but then the, the women that he killed, they were just random women, weren't they? Yeah. That's when there's ever there's an indiscriminate form of violence. That proper messes with me, because I I assume if someone's going to kill me, it's because I fucked them off. But when it's just a random act, I feel like that can happen to anyone, and that makes me uncomfortable. 
I've said it many a time, if you're walking past a building and a bit of scaffolding falls down and kills you, that's not your fault, man. Why should you get blown up by a bit of scaffolding? Why should this guy have the right... To, he doesn't have the right, but why? how does this guy have the have the bollocks to kill you when it's you've done nothing to him? Okay. I, I know, I'm not I'm true, well, bro, spitting I, facts, but you know what I mean? I Well, I wondered about that because... I thought he'd everything, the worry over the tax, all of, you know, he was going to go to prison because obviously he didn't want to go to prison the first time when he got caught for theft and he would lose everything. So that explained to me if he tipped over the edge, he went and killed um, his brother in the middle of the night. I could almost understand that because he thought his brother had done him wrong, had done him wrong. But he sat outside that solicitor's house from for at least five hours. So you either come down from it or you're completely and utterly gone. He probably felt gone. Uh, um, validated for doing it. He, he, he probably got in this little weird little mental spiral of him thinking, no, this is right. He does deserve this. Yeah. That's probably why he did it. And you, again, like we said, you can, un- you, so you can understand his brother, not, not validating it at all. But you can understand the brother. You can almost understand the solicitor because, again, it's tied in for the same motive. He feels like he's done wrong. The solicitor has done him wrong. Yeah. The drivers, incorrectly, he's, uh, he again... He's associating blame or attributing blame to yeah. them. But then all these other random people, it's like he was like, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. I'm just... I, I, I know he's got this weird relationship with these um, foreign women, mm-hmm. he, he was saying. But why take that out on the women that are nearby? I don't. I don't see. I'm struggling to make the logical connection in my head as to why I that think... would be the immediate leap. Because I, I wouldn't see. Oh, this this person cheated on me. What attributes have they got? Female. Uh, blame woman. Got tits. Bad. I don't see that. I can't. I don't see how that's a leap in my head. Well, I can with his no, 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 no. Yeah. I, I can. I can see. You, you... I can see why that's his thing. But but in my head, that just makes no sense for that to be the next option. But yeah, it just seems like senseless violence. Mm-hmm. And why didn't he funnel the money away better? Exactly. If he's claiming he's only doing a hundred pounds in tax, I'm sure you could have written off so much more stuff on the tax than obviously not actually done it, and then you sort of pocket the money. But don't put it in a bank account. Have it in in raw currency. Use that to buy your like shopping. You know, so so there, there's no data trails or done by cash. When he probably started stashing the money away, there wasn't the rules in place that they have to, you know. And especially as you, if you're a, you know, a bank and you see an account that just has constantly having money added, but there's never any withdrawals. And, you know, he's on the register as a taxi driver. You're going to think, yeah, right. So because it's a super easy thing to launder, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. How many places that phone shops that you never see though you, you, you see those guys that have the, they sell the phone cases the chargers the sparkly phone cases the screen protectors sat in weird little shopping like yep. centers and stuff they're definitely laundering money yep. or you drive past a shop in a random countryside or road and there's you turn and you look to your left and there's a weird little antique shop definitely selling drugs or money laundering or it's some weird sex club and it's called antique because it's for old people there's no <laughs> other reason why it's there you're not trading anything you're laundering money. They're kind of doing it smart, though, because they're saying, oh, yeah, we sold 18 teacups today for a grand each. And then they paid the tax on that 18 grand. And really, they've got a weird little sex stand, and that's where they're getting the money from. That's what they're doing. But why didn't he... I mean, he should, put it in, he should have put it in some NFTs or something, shouldn't he? Yeah, or, uh, or some weird cryptocurrency. I, I don't think they were out when he first started. When was this? 2010? Um, tw- 2012. That would have been 
Bitcoin would have been popping around then, I think, at the start. I'm not sure. Yeah, he would have done what the internet is. No, I don't think he would have done. I don't think he was and, that uh, uh, He blamed the nuclear plant. He blamed them for getting sacked, but that was his fault for nicking lumber. Mm-hmm. So he probably, so he was rightfully sacked there, I guess. Mm-hmm. The taxi one, uh, they, they didn't like him. You probably smart funny. So again, like there's a bit of a difference. He, he wronged the nuclear people by stealing stuff, and then but the taxi drivers didn't like him. I guess there's a bit of a, there's a difference there as well, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. There is. There's definitely a difference. I feel sorry for his children and his grandchild um growing up knowing that their grandfather was or their father and their grandfather was you know that you can't hide this from family eventually no of course you can't was, was he even smart enough to take out that money in in i guess it would have been on a lock wouldn't it once they took once they think it's funky now it would be then it wouldn't have been even in 2012 really no, it, yeah because that's like just after the recession, there might have been a bit more funny no. with money. Because I would have taken that out, buried it in the woods, be yep. like, all right, in 10 years, go here. Get and it. find a mouse has gotten into it and yeah, all you've got yeah, is exactly. confetti. Like in Bad, Guy, in a bad Boys 2. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what does happen to people. So, yeah, I just... It was just one bad decision on top of another bad decision, and then he just—he didn't even get to profit off of the sixty grand. When a pro- no. when, a, when a large company does huge scale tax evasion, tax avoidance, I kind of that's kind of fine. Fuck fuck them, tax avoidance. That's just jumping difference. Tax, tax evasion, tax avoidance, two very different things. Yes. If a, if a company does something funny and they get fined for it, they might have made a hundred million, but they only get fined twenty million. So who cares? They made a sixty million gain. Mm-hmm. If he made sixty grand. Or, or like didn't spend 60 grand on the tax pocket it do something with it make it an investment tie it up so they can't nick it the police also the um tax the government can't take the tax from him do something with it because then you at least give it back to your family i don't get it if you think about this though it's uh, it's 20 years i think it was 23 years that he was doing this for Sixty thousand for that amount of time is not a lot of money no he would have been better off properly declaring it because he probably could have like you say claimed an awful lot more back you know he'd written off you can write off your car repairs you can write this off you can write that off if if you're self-employed i know youtubers that will buy something and put it in a video specifically so they can then claim it back as a tax write-off yeah why wouldn't you yeah so sixty thousand pounds is not a lot of money over 20 years at all we seem to be doing a little trend of people doing mass shootings or spree shootings. Well, the, the, the have, last... we, have we got any more? No, and they're the three British ones, and I don't want to do any more for quite a while. There's probably not not that many more, is there? No. Uh, I... Someone says if gun control does help. Not not a spree killings like no, these. Be a one-off. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got three, and that's bad enough because considering we have very stringent gun laws, but these have, well, not this one, but the previous two definitely tightened up. Um, gun control in the UK. So there's been a few, but like we said last week, you you know, you can get a 3D printer these days and, you know, print a gun. You can't stop it. You no. can't stop it. So. so wrapping up this week's episode, finally the victims who should not be forgotten. David Bird, age 52. Kevin Commons, age 60. Darren Rucastle, aged 43. Susan Hughes, aged 57. Kenneth Fishburne, age 71. Jennifer Jackson, aged 68. James Jackson, aged 67. Isaac Dixon, aged 65. Gary Purdom, aged 31. James Clark, aged 23. Michael Pike, aged 64. 
and Jane Robinson, aged 66. Ah, that case was mad, mother. But what isn't mad is subscribe to our Patreon, which you can find in the link below. You get free stickers, possibly one of a nipple coming up. <laughs> no, I, I haven't ordered the nipple ones yet. Oh, I just thought of something even weirder. You could take a picture of my nipple. No! <laughs> then just that gets printed on the sticker. Anyway, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me Monday Podcast. You can email us at murdermemondaypodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Peace. Peace.